Bandwidth for this week in photography is brought to you by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This Week in Photography is sponsored by Audible. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip for a free downloadable book. This week on the show, Lightroom 2.0 is released. More discussion on picking the right camera and the right lenses. And do camera backs scream, rob me? Right here on This Week in Photography, number 41. Welcome to another exciting edition of This Week in Photography, and I'm Scott Bourne, your co-host, and he's back. He's back from the East Coast with that line we're all waiting to hear. Hello, everybody. It's Alex Lindsay. <laughs> yes, ladies and gentlemen, the Hello Everybody t-shirts are on their way. <laughs> we are working on two t-shirts, let you know. We'll talk about that in a little bit, uh, but we're not done. Um, coming in um, from Skype somewhere on this planet, for sure, it's Ron Brinkman. Hey, guys. Good to be back. I'm uh, just down in Southern California. Nothing too exciting. Redondo Beach. Hermosa Beach. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just like Redondo Beach, isn't it? No, it's next door, not. so it's close. Okay. <laughs> and uh, when we also, uh, he'll be standing by in case we need him. We have our very, very capable and talented producer, Aaron Mailer, standing by. And uh, it's it's going to be a, a fun show. We're going to do Q and A today. One of one of your favorite shows, according to what we hear from you in the feedback loop. But before we go on, I do want to say something that's uh, that's not in in the producer's notes because I just finalized this very late last night. We have two T shirts coming. Two T shirts? Yeah, two. One that says "Photography is not a crime" on the back. Nice. Excellent. With the Twip logo, and another one that just says, "Hey, everybody." <laughs> <laughs> it does. It's got, and that's on the front with the Twip logo. It says, "Hey, everybody," and it's got the Twip logo. Uh, it's these things take a while, so it's probably going to be a matter of six or eight weeks before we get ready to sell them. Although it could be sooner. We also have some Twip hats coming, Woo-hoo. and uh, we're also going to have very few of these. Very, very few of these. Like maybe fifteen tops, twenty very tops. We're going to have some Scotty vests with nice. the Twip logo. So we're going to have all this stuff ready in, you know, four, six, eight weeks tops. We're going to put it up on the blog. You can order it first come, first serve. We're going to be using Google Checkout. Don't ask me to take PayPal. Ain't going to do it. <laughs> yeah. It's not it's- God has an opinion we're, or anything. We're going to use Google Checkout. If you don't want to use Google Checkout, I'm sorry you will not be able to purchase a Hey Everybody or... Photography is I know, not I know everyone's waiting on the edge of their seat to buy a Hey Everybody shirt. To tell you the truth, I believe it's going to be quite successful. <laughs> I want one that says, saying, Hey Everybody is not a crime. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> I have some, hey, I have some I can news. cut and paste the two together and get that, I think. All right. This is your very last week, and I do mean it. This is it. Um, like, like, when you hear this, you've got like a day to link to us if you want to win the Drobo. Because next week, I'm mailing it to somebody. You're mailing the Drobo? I'm mailing the Drobo to somebody. Mm. Now, who will it be? It won't be you unless you have a link to twipphoto.com on your podcast, your blog, or your website. It's that simple. If you don't, you can't win. And once we finish that contest, we're going to have a new prize. I'm not quite sure what it is yet, but it'll be cool. It'll be significantly cool that you'll want to keep a link to us. So that's going on. And now it's time for the news. And for that, I'm going to hand off to the venerable, hey, everybody, himself, Alex Lindsay. I have some own personal news. I got a new lens. What lens did you get? I got a Sigma 8 millimeter. An 8? Oh, I like that lens. <gasps> oh, it's, it's so nice. It's so nice. <laughs> 8 millimeters. You can take pictures of things next to you. It's like sideways. So, yeah, so, so the first thing you do is you go take pictures of people's faces from like right up their nose. You have to. That's the first thing you do because it is the most <laughs> And then you get the weird, a horse, up a horse, of course, of course. <laughs> Mr. Ed effect. So I, so I got it. We, I got a new uh, QuickTime VR rig um, so, um, from, from Kaiden. So they, they, put I, that, they put that on there. What? Did you put that on there or they put that on there? Um, no, no. I, I, well, I got the rig from them. I was in Philadelphia, and they were only, they were only a couple miles away. And so we went over and got a rig because we wanted to shoot this location that was, uh, uh, that was where I was teaching. And, and I needed to do some HDR stuff. And so I needed to get a, a great fisheye for my 
uh, for my camera. And, um, and so actually somebody else got it and then I bought it from him. It was a long st- drawn out story because he decided he wanted the 14 millimeter, okay. which is full frame. Yeah. The eight millimeter literally it's is circle. It's a circle cut off at the top and bottom. If you're using a, uh, APS, um, uh, sized sensor, if, if it was on the, if it was on your big Canon. Oh, you don't have a Canon anymore. Uh, no. Oh, you don't. Anyway, so. But so Sigma the, makes the same lens. Yeah. For the and so then it, it would be full frame. So it'd yeah. be, and, see uh, the circle. and so you can take six photos around, um, really four, if you want all the way around and you get a full, uh, um, pano you can, you can stitch those together and stitcher or, you know, right. build an HDR out of photomatics and, and life is good. And so, but I have to admit that, that after I got it, I got it for that. <laughs> I didn't think I'd use it for anything other than panos, but it's really fun. Now, let me ask you a question. Did it come with a tether so you won't lose it? <laughs> Leave it on the plane. Time to start following Alex around when he gets off the plane. What did you lose recently, Alex? Uh, I lost my iPhone, but I got a new one. So wait a minute. Let, let's get the whole rundown. Somewhere <laughs> in the world, there's floating a G9, yes. an iPhone, yes. either, I believe a Palm Pilot yes. or a Palm Trio. Trio. Uh, what, what, what else might we find in just floating in the... <laughs> well, here's the thing is, I, 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 here's the worst part is when you know you're going to lose something, you lose it anyway. You know, so I, I put it in, I had these big kind of these loose pants that I was wearing for production and I had my, uh, uh, my iPhone in it and I sat down in the cab and I was like, I should really move that to another pocket because my iPhone's just going to slip right out of here. And I was, you know, it'd been an 18 hour production day and I was just tired and I, lit, you know, kind of was sitting in the cab and I got to the house and I got out and I, and, the, and when I went to, I used my, my iPhone as my alarm. And so when I went to find my iPhone, I realized it was gone. Gone. Uh, the space shuttle um, launch has been delayed because they're afraid that as they move into space, the space debris containing Alex's iPhone <laughs> G9 and Bomb Trio could possibly dent the space shuttle. So there's you're not you're not actually allowed to go anywhere alone with your child, are you, Alex? <laughs> <laughs> I've only forgotten. And once. while we're at it, I have not seen your wife recently. Did you, did she? Did you I know I put her somewhere. Okay. You know, I, I, she'll turn up. Okay, she'll turn up. So well, one thing I, I was glad of uh, is that I, I did lock the phone yeah that's good it made that's me, good. Made me much less stressed about it and then the next day of course i got the new it finally was the impetus that i have to get serious about and you dealing. found a place where the line was short enough uh, I, or I, did you make pull strings i might have cut some corners okay well that's good <laughs> you know what we're past the launch date by far enough that it's okay to cut yeah corners. i was just kind of like okay there's still 80 people in line this yeah. morning there was 80 people in line in front of the apple store it was uh yeah. it was weird well um would you like to talk about any other news lightroom is out okay so Ooh. the uh, have you guys have has anyone played with the new Lightroom yet? I have not played with it. I looked at it. Um, it it's uh, obviously we wish Fred was here. Yeah, doing his job. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so no Lightroom sixty four bit for OS ten. Um, if you're running Leopard and if you have a printer that will support it, it will make a difference. Yes, and uh, but you also top new features are local adjustment brushes, enhanced organizational tools. Um, you know, so I haven't gotten to play with it too much yet. I, we've been shooting all week, and so it came out in the middle of our shoot week, and, but I'm going to get it over the weekend and play with it. I know that Stu Mashwitz was sitting there going, you know, he, he has all the stuff to do, and all he wanted to do was sit and play with Lightroom. So, um, so yeah, I, the, the important thing is that those localized adjustments are, are non-destructive. So it's, yeah, I think uh, that that's the big, you know, to me, that's the big uh, advantage that Lightroom has is uh, – uh, is all the localized um, ability to correct stuff, you know, and that's the one thing I'm hoping to see out of Aperture, you know, somewhere down the down the road of non-destructive image editing. Um, right, you can you can do your dodging and burning inside of Aperture, but it's sort of once you once you commit to that, it's burned in. Whereas uh, in Lightroom, it it lives in that but, but, same adjustment sort of stack. As a point of clarification, once you commit to that, it's burned in on a new version. So right. you're, 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 you still have yes. access to the unburned in one. But you're right. It, it would be more efficient probably if you didn't have to do that. Of course, now there are plugins, for instance, by Nick using the you know their special U-point technology that simulate basically the same effect. There's no need for masking that you could add to Aperture. Of course, that does right. raise the price. Right, and as I said, I think that I, I'm, I'm sure Apple knows this is this. I mean, I think the non-destructive editing um, tools are some of the big advantages that Lightroom has. I mean, I think that, that the management of the way it manages um, images is the is what Aperture has to an advantage for a lot of people as far as managed libraries and so on and so forth. But um, but both of them have. It just depends on how people like to work with their photos. I think yeah, it hasn't been a thing. problem for me just to make a new version and mm-hmm. and, and try it out because right. uh, you know if I don't like it, I can just delete it. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the big issue for me, and, and I'm, I'm an Aperture user, so this is me just wanting this feature to get into Aperture mostly, is, uh, you know, yeah, you can make a new version, but having it all be non-destructive means that you're dodge and burn. You can then go back and adjust the original exposure, for instance. You know, you get everything where you like, and then you mm-hmm. just want to up the exposure up and down a little bit. Uh, in Lightroom, you can do that and still take advantage of the original raw data. Now, I don't believe that Lightroom is still giving us an SDK yet, though. No, yeah, right. so that's the, that's still another big yeah. thing that I think we're going to keep on seeing Aperture getting more and more features built into it because it has the SDK. I think that Adobe really has to pay attention to that. And um, there's no you know, perfect application. Nope. I do know people using both. Believe it or not, yeah, believe yeah. <laughs> um, But but they're they're both free to try. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking of Aperture, Apple has updated it to two point one point one mobile me compatibility. When mobile yeah. me is working, mobile me. Apparently, Apple held press conferences this week to say that mobile me is working. Really. We mean it. So I, 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 th- I think that I think they've worked that out. We knew they would. We yeah. knew they would eventually. It was a big it change. Out. It was a big upgrade. So yeah. it was, uh, you know, it was expected. Unfortunately, um, Apple never gives you a lot of information about what's in these updates. All we know is that uh, it's, you it's know, pri- primarily bug fixes, some performance improvements. I, you know, installed it. I don't notice anything other than the mobile me compatibility. Right. I don't notice anything in particular. There's more Adobe news, uh, Alex. Yes, new, more Adobe News, uh, Photoshop Express. They've updated it. New air-based uploader. Um, it also has drag-and-drop photos from the desktop to uh, Photoshop Express. So now you're getting even closer to a, kind of an application feel. The ability to print photos through Shutterfly, side, side shows, slideshows, now incorporate music. Uh, tagging is supported. One-click uh, resize tool that, uh, pre- for presets for mobile, web, email, online profiles. And users can download photos from anyone's public album and keep a collection of their favorites. And so the, I mean, the big thing is, is that you are, you are getting to this point with Photoshop Express uh, where if you just want to do little corrections of the stuff that you're going to use on the web, uh, it's starting to become a really useful tool for that. I think for point-and-shoot users, for you know hobbyists, it has some application. You still can't do anything but a JPEG. You can't do RAW. You can't, right. you can't. This isn't going to be for photos. the serious folks, but there's, yeah. you know, I but think, I think 90% it, I, of the people out there playing with photos aren't going to need Photoshop. My bet is they will make a paid version available for the serious folks because that way they can cover the storage costs. Well, and I think that they, I think that, I think that nobody needed to do Photoshop Express and I think that they, they're going to need to continue to develop it because I think that. Um, one of the things that um, as they become much harder about their certification, making sure that you own the copy of Photoshop that you have, um, they are creating a huge market for people who, uh, you know, people who are making things like Acorn or things that are making, you know, um, Pixelmator because uh, be- before there was just no chance that you're going to get into this art market because there were so many pirated copies floating around. I mean, uh, that that you know, everyone was using Photoshop. Now they're making it harder for that to happen, and that means that they have to kind of serve that audience that would have normally just tried to find something, and now they can find something online. So I think it's a great idea, and I think that... Uh, Do we ever see Apple doing something like this with iPhoto, iPhoto Express online? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that iPhoto is already free. Yes, you know I mean, I think that. But comes, I mean, I'm talking about in terms of. I think the, yeah, the I mean, story I think, being the online component. I think know? that I think we're going to see uh, Apple taking advantage of their own ideas re- related to Sprout Core. Yeah, and I think I expect to see a lot of uh, kind of Ajaxy kind of uh, stuff from all the way across Apple because it just seems like a lot of applications, you know, not even all kinds of applications are moving online. It is. I think that I, I guess my my whole thing is I don't really, uh, you know, I don't really want it to be web based. You know, I don't. You know, I, I like I like my computer to have. So just programs. ignore that from from us, Apple. Don't make it web based. You know, they, they, clearly Apple has incentive though to do something that allows access from a Mac or from an iPhone. You know, having something that sits on the cloud. Well, and, they're and saying mobile. They're saying mobile me is the way to do. That. <laughs> there's some. There's something about doing color correction on my iPhone that seems. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> I can see some pretty cool multi-touch interfaces. Have a little curves dialog box pop over the yeah. image, and I could use my little finger. It'd be, it'd be great. But I will say the this. smudge tool takes. A whole new uh... yeah really the smudge tool now wait a minute which smudge is that um, I, I can tell you this looking at a current iPhone screen or, or even version one iPhone screen that screen is like ten times better than the very first screens I used to do color correction on back yeah. in the yeah. day yeah. yeah 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 I would have loved to have a screen that looked this good even if it is this small totally also in the news this is this one actually means a lot to to me. Uh, yeah. Laptops can be confiscated and searched at U.S. border without cause, says report. Uh, this is just an Engadget. Uh, it claims that all electronic devices, including laptops, phones, and cameras, can be searched wherever you are 
uh, U.S. citizen or not. Belongings uh, can be detained for a quote-unquote reasonable period of time. Months. Uh, naturally, this is all attributed to anti-terrorism, but we know it's the uh, something else. Um, anyway, so uh, this is something that, that – it's been around for a little while, but it looks like it may, they may be starting to really tighten it. Yeah. So if you're, if you're going in and out – and a, a lot of us, if we're carrying cameras, we're carrying a lot of electronics. You just want to make sure that uh, you don't have a lot of uh, nefarious things on your, on your laptop. Well, my, my, my advice to people is if you're going out of the country and you're a serious photographer, this is a case where, you know, I would, you know, burn my images to a DVD and mm-hmm. mail them back to myself. I would also upload them to some sort of online storage just so I'd have two copies right. that way. And then, um, you know, I would hope that I, I was able to get it all back through customs. I know. But, I have to shoot. We have to shoot in uh, Amsterdam and, and – uh, London in uh, the end of August, and we're I'm already figuring out. I'm going to blow my laptop out so that there's nothing there. there yeah, you don't I, want you don't want anything on your laptop that you need access to because if they keep it for two months, which they can, or three right. months, or four months, you're not going to get it back. Right. The other thing to think of, and I actually talked with a guy this morning who's a a world traveler. He's a worldwide fashion photographer who works primarily on three continents. He says, "I'm buying three sets of cameras. I'm buying three laptops. I'm dumping everything at the locations that I work at." And then uh, I'll move my images electronically over the web, and I'm never taking anything across customs. That way I won't have to worry about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah so it's uh, slightly uh, crazy, but uh, we'll, we'll see. And, and, I, and I'll, I'll report back when I uh, find out what it, what it really looks like. But see, here's my luck with stuff like this. Here's my luck. <laughs> I'll come through with a G9. Mm-hmm. And you'll pick a fight. No, no. I'll you'll come, pick a fight. No, no. I'll come <laughs> it's going to happen. You're going to get there and you're going to be throwing, you're going to be yelling no, at somebody. I'm going to come you, through You'll be wearing your photography is not a crime t-shirt. I'm, no, I'm going to come, <laughs> I'm going to actually do the opposite. I'm going to come through wearing my Sunday go to meet and clothes, wearing, carrying a G9 with nothing. They'll take me aside. Meanwhile, the guy behind me who's six foot six has a turban with wires in it. And by the way, he's carrying a dial, dialysis machine. He'll go through. Me, they'll take my G9. So that's why I'm just not traveling internationally because I, I'm the guy that they'll pick. It's just my luck. <laughs> I, I'm actually pretty good at being invisible. So the uh, that's my invisibility cloak. I picked it up last time I was in London from Harry Potter. And, uh, <laughs> it works fantastic. Nikon also has a, a new upgrade, a new buffer upgrade. Uh, have you uh, yeah, this installed is, this? this is, no, because first of all, they're not making it available just yet. <laughs> Secondly, it's five hundred bucks, and you have to uh, send your camera to them to do it. <laughs> what that? <laughs> yeah. So what it is? It, it's a hardware fix, Alex. So you you know, it's not something. It's not a firmware mm-hmm. thing. You have to send your camera to Nikon, and basically, what it'll do is it'll double the size of your image buffer. So if you can shoot sixteen uh, high res pictures um, now before the buffer slows you down and starts writing to the card, you'll be able to do thirty two. It's five hundred bucks. You got to send it in for a couple weeks. Now, now here's the thing, though. We can always assume from this that the new D3s, whenever they come out, could be as soon as Photokina they announce them, right. will have this capability built in. So one wants to decide if one wants this now or perhaps wait for the new D3 and make your, your, your old D3 the backup body and not worry about this. Right, right. But, but for those who really need it, I mean, the fact that they're offering it, I've never heard of uh, Canon doing it. No, like this, this is really cool. And, and you know, what, what I hope this, this is is sort of a, a harbinger of what's coming in the future of much more openness in, in the camera as a platform. I mean, you know, it, it, just like PCs are obviously very configurable and you can add stuff, you know, and even at, at the user level start to add stuff. I really am hoping that cameras get to be a lot more open and are, are treated like a platform that people can basically, uh, you know, expand on. I know that's, that's something we've been experiencing with. We, we've been shooting a bunch of stuff with the RED camera, and uh, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's not mine, unfortunately, but, uh, but we've been shooting a lot with it. And what's interesting is, is that, of course, you have a um, – uh, it's an operating system. And basically just an, an OS that boots up inside of the, inside of the camera, and you see when you know, upgrades from version to version gives you a whole new camera. And that's, there's no yeah. reason why these cameras can't do that. That's a well, wonderful yeah, analogy, some... Ron. I, I love that analogy that you know you can upgrade your video card and your PC. Why can't you do it in your camera? I love that. You know, it's, it's I mean, there, there are so many of these companies that want to get into the the camera manufacturing marketplace, and you know, Sony is doing a, giving a good run, and Samsung, and all these guys. But I've yet to see somebody take what I think is an obvious step of really changing the game. You know, everybody's just basically producing the same sort of point and shoots, and somebody's going to come out there with something that has open access to the hardware and to the software, 
And you know, say go nuts. And I think that there's would, tons that of would stuff. Be red, red, red will just come out with a still camera. That now, kills would, you know else. what? They, they yeah. might. Yeah. Here's something that that is very interesting. That just that's like there could be a camera company, you know, three years from now that we don't even know exist. If they mm-hmm. would do something like that, that could usurp Canon and Nikon. Yeah, that, that's so. a cool idea. So there's somebody attention. out there that's contemplating this. Give me a yeah. call. I'll come work for you. Well, let's move on to the side of the week. And, Ron, we're going to ask you to talk about this because this is one that uh, you suggested. It's called Opacity. And I have to say I visited it, and I was just kind of blown away. Now, I, I, I mean, I don't know. For, how did you find this? <laughs> uh, well, first of all, to set the stage for what it is, Opacity is a site that uh, it's it's a photography site, but it's focused specifically on on a sub the subject of urban ruins, uh, which is something that's always fascinated me. This this sense of you know even modern structures or semi modern structures from you know turn of the century or fifty years ago or a hundred years ago. You know what happens when these these giant factories start to go into decay and basically become ruins, and I've done a little bit of that kind of stuff. I shot a short film a few years back down and around the uh, the interesting parts of downtown Los Angeles, and you know it's a small crew and late at night, and we had a, a scissors lift and decided that okay, we need to get the shot from the the window of this abandoned building, and uh, I mean it's a blast. First of all, you feel like Indiana Jones, but in an urban environment. And uh, but the photography uh, opportunities in places like this is just just astounding. So there's there's a few sites out there like that, and you can also just Google urban exploration to get a sense of sort of what the 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 interesting part of the exploration part of it is. But this site Opacity, which is www.opacity.us, is uh, a collection of photos from people that have gone into these ruined structures, you know, old mental hospitals and uh, uh, old factories and everything. And, you know, amazing lighting opportunities because a lot of natural light, but you can also bring in flashes and stuff. There's, I'm actually going to toss out another site as well to kind of go with this, which is Sleepy City, uh, sleepycity.net. And it's the same sort of thing of uh, sort of underground exploration. You know, some of them do... Um, uh, you know the sewer systems and, and all that kind of stuff, and and you know you, you'd think it's like that's just that sounds kind of gross, but I, I don't know. I, f- I find so much of this stuff actually quite quite beautiful. Especially what I notice is how many hospitals are in here. That's, that's not, uh, yeah. Going going back to the sewer thing, Ron. This could be a symptom of why you're single. Just, <laughs> just thought I'd point that out. Oh, I'm um, supposed to shower after this. <laughs> what would be cool to do like a photo walk through yeah. an abandoned prison. Now that yeah. would be cool. And you'll find some of that stuff. There's, but there's some, <laughs> some great, great photos. And, you know, I love some of the lighting. You know, the, the guys are yeah. very uh, clever with lighting. I mean, you know, you'll take a long – because you're doing a lot of long exposure photography now, down is, there. Are they, are they getting the okay to do this or they just slip in? No, it's usually not, not. I mean, sometimes you can get permission, but most of the time it's uh, commando operations. You know, I know the stuff that I've done is pretty See, that's commando. That's the part Alex would like the best. He would, he would say – Screw all the photography. Let me get together the walkie-talkies. I know, and get I know. The hand signals. Exactly. Down. We're rappelling from the <laughs> helicopter, swinging through the through the open window. Yeah, it's right, fun. I've done uh, some of it. That's that's opacity.com. Let's move to Flickr challenge. We have uh, the winner. We're going to announce today of our most recent challenge, which was the color blue. Um, I will say that that these were <laughs> the, the whole crop of images were very striking. But there's this this one, and it's just a weird photograph. But man, it just knocked me right out of my seat. White peacock yeah. by, by Douglas Roche, I think is how he says his name. Aaron helped me kind of work these through, and and it just it's just it's an amazing photograph. The perspective yeah. is weird. I mm-hmm. mean, it's just it's like I you know I've never seen a peacock like that in my life. So that that's what got me. But very very close runner up, the cold queen. Somebody taken in Pittsburgh, by the way. I can tell. Uh, <laughs> just on a typical uh, winter day the, uh, the somebody went to a lot of trouble to make that photograph and it's very good but uh, the white peacock one just because the angle was so odd it was just it just was so different and striking so the the uh the winner will get a uh, free copy of rick smolin's new personalized book that he can make the cover of himself and um, we'll, we'll get that off to you soon. We do have a new challenge. Now, I want you to note that our challenges run two weeks. And over the span of the next two weeks, guess which date will occur? August 8th, 2008. That would eight, be 8-8-8. Eight, 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 eight. So the theme this week is 8. 
that's it. No more help on the theme. We're not going to tell you what to do, how to interpret it. You can go nuts, but that is your theme. It's a, it's a more difficult challenge uh, than our usual simple challenges, but that's okay. Every once in a while, we want to tax you. Remember, you can submit any photo of the Flickr group. Pick only your best one um, that you think signifies eight, and we will lean towards rewarding those who actually shoot this during the two-week period, although we'll consider all photos. Uh, join the, the group. We're only a few away from 6,000 members. You can learn how to sign up by going to our blog and searching for Flickr. Uh, we have just over 3,000 members in the Critique Forum, and uh, that's really working well. We did our poll, the last poll results. Do you think it's wrong to digitally manipulate a photograph using post-processing software? Almost 50% said, no, I don't care what you do to it. If it started out as a photo, I'm cool with whatever. Then um, the next highest group, 32%, I don't mind post-processing as long as the image retains a photorealistic look. Then we moved down to 17%. Some manipulation is okay. Same things you could do in a wet dark room. And only 2.6% are the purists that said, no, the purists, we can't touch it. Now, I got to tell you, I think 10 years ago, this poll would have been almost inverse. Probably. Yeah. I think it also depends on the crowd that you're asking to. I do. You I, know do. I mean, because it's the, uh, yeah, real, this, this wouldn't yeah, mean as much if you're talking about photojournalists. Exactly. If we were <laughs> a photojournalist, we'd 100% no, you can't touch it. Uh, so uh, the new poll is, who do you photograph? Uh, who, who are you trying to please with your photographs? Your clients, yourself, your family, your friends, your peers? Pick one of those. I'm sorry. Um, and by the way, no matter what choices I give in the poll every week, I get emails saying, you forgot this, you forgot that. So I, I'm going to predict right now some of the emails for next week. I photographed to please aliens. Yes. I didn't, I didn't include whales. I, my pet, I did not include that one. Whales. Yeah, whales. So sorry we can't get everything. But you can leave comments over on the poll over at Vizu who helps us with our polls if you think I left something out. But your, choices, your choices are right there. <laughs> Definitely tortoises. Okay. Definitely tortoises. Well, we're going to do a Q&A show, fellas. Um, we, we get lots of questions. In fact, hundreds and hundreds of questions, sometimes hundreds in just a few days, and we can't answer them all. I, I want to start with a generic question because this is the most often asked question, which is what camera should I buy? Now, it, it, is, it is very, very perplexing to even contemplate that question from our point of view. We don't know anything about you when you write it. And everyone will say things like all the way from I'm new to photography, what camera should I buy down to should I buy the G9 or the Sigma blah, blah, blah. Should I buy the Canon D40, 40D or the Nikon D4? You know, here's the thing. We want to give you some guidance on how to answer these questions using, you know, your own thought processes, not just simple pat answers. I mean, I'd rather give you some seed than some corn, so to speak, Alex. Yeah, I know. I think that, I, you know, to me, the big, the big thing that when I talk to people about this, when people ask me uh, when I'm not on the show, is the big thing that, that I ask, the number one question, to the, the first question you have to ask is, do you want me to, be able to put it in your pocket or do you want to carry it around? Because as soon as, you know, that is the big separator, you know, between little cameras and big cameras, you know, and uh, the big cameras are once you start putting these SLRs, the, the good news is, is that almost all of these SLRs are going to take great photos. Um, you want to make sure, of course, that they shoot raw. Uh, you want to be able to shoot raw if you're, if you're, once you start spending more money on a camera. I, th- I personally wouldn't buy a camera that doesn't shoot raw. Uh, you know, to me, I, I was talking to someone who's about to have a baby, and, you know, I think people saw my baby photos that I took of, of, of Malachi. And, uh, and I, I really think that if you're going to have, you know, if you really want to take pictures of family, there's nothing like having a uh, you know, some SLR it can be a very, it can be a Rebel, it can be a forty, you know, a forty X or whatever, a forty D, whatever you want to, you know, or the um, XTI, any of those cameras. But get a nice fast fifty, you know, just get a nice fast fifty, throw it on there, and and if you're taking pictures of people, if you do just that, and I'm not, you know, you will get great photos. You just leave that thing wide open, and uh, you know, a very low aperture, one point eight. Uh, something in that area and take pictures of folks and you'll learn that you'll want to close it down a little bit over time but you want to get used to that feeling of that real short depth of field that's what makes people that's what makes people snap out and it's uh and uh it you know just having that camera for family like individual portraits makes a huge difference my next question would be what do you want to use your camera for after after we decide whether you want a big one or a little one what do you want to use it for Mm -hmm. because that's going to impact what you choose. If you say, right. Scott, I'm never, ever going to take pictures of anything other than motorsports. 
well, then I'm going to recommend, unfortunately, that you have to buy a fairly expensive camera because you're going to want one with a high frame rate, lots of shutters, you know, lots of ability to like shutter um, clicks in a few seconds mm-hmm. because you need to stop and catch a lot of action. If you say, I'm just going to take pictures of mooses, <laughs> well, then you can pick something different. Now, Ron, you said that was funny. I've actually had that question. I'm sure there's a whole demographic there that could be served with yeah. the uh, moose-specific camera moose. package. I only shoot mooses. That could be another T-shirt. Um, but if you're going to do um, landscape photography, you need a different camera than if you're going to do sports photography. If you're going to do sports photography, you need a different camera than if you're going to do architectural photography. So that's the real question. Now, many of you, if you're getting started, um, you don't know what kind of photography you're going to do. So that makes right. a general purpose camera something you should consider. And um, moving from there, uh, you know, I would say spend what you can afford on the body, but save the money for glass. What do you think, Ron? Well, yeah, even, I mean, if you really are just starting out, I would say don't spend that much money and acknowledge the fact that you're you're going to have to sort of learn what you want. And I, you know, I would I don't think it's a bad idea to even, you know, get a used camera or something for a little while, something that you can you can sort of get in at a low price point and get a better sense for what your style is and what you need and where the shortcomings are of that lower cost camera. You can get you can get some used cameras and glass for really you know a couple hundred bucks maybe even less if you look around for something you know maybe a little bit beat up but you'll learn a lot about it and then you'll you'll know more where to go either that or you got to do a lot of research ahead of time and the, the one thing that i would highly suggest is you know the most expensive part if you're getting an slr is going to be the, the glass and the don't buy in my opinion don't buy digital lenses yeah here now here we go ron this is the argument <laughs> you've been waiting to have buddy yep. jump in yep. there I, I just don't. I think that that's too artificial of a constraint to put on. You know, just for everybody to clarify, what Alex is saying is, don't buy uh, a camera lens that only works on certain bodies. You know, there are lenses that only work on the crop frame sensors, the smaller size sensors, and you cannot put them on a full frame camera. So there's a lens you can buy, like a lens I have, which is the 10 to 22 that uh, will will only work on something like my 40D. You cannot put it on a 5D or, or one of the higher-end Canons because those are the full-frame things. And I mean, I know what you're saying, that you, know, you, you run the risk of having a lens that you can't upgrade with, but you know, you're, if you're upgrading, you can upgrade lenses, you can sell your old lenses, and I just don't, I don't like the sense of saying I'm going to, you know, I can't get an ultra-wide uh, lens for a crop sensor camera without going to a special lens like the 10 to 22. I cannot, you know, get a 10 millimeter, you know, an ultra wide angle lens, which ends up being a 16 millimeter sort of crop factor on the, on, on my 4D without going with right. a specialized lens like that. So to say, don't buy for it. For a specialty lens, I guess I'd say that, but I think that there are some DX lenses, for instance, on the Nikon, and, and there's other ones that are just digital and they're, and they're kind of in that medium form. You know, they're, they're not really, you know they're not really specialty lenses, but they're but they're being cropped down, and I just feel like the thing that kills me and and is is whether I'm going to go to you know when I when I had to move from Nikon to Canon now I'm thinking about going looking, the looking, way, going yeah. going back the other way it was a very painful decision it wasn't as bad as Scott's but it was eight thousand dollars worth of glass that had to get moved around you know and and um, and some of it when I went the other way I didn't buy as much glass number one and number two is that I just looked at all these you know I, I'm definitely looking at the next camera I buy will be full frame. You know, and so now I look at it and I just go, I don't want to. You know, yeah, if you're, you know, if you know you're going to be going full frame soon, and but you know, I mean, I think the point that that Scott's, you know, he, he ended up selling all of his lenses anyway, so yeah, you know, it wouldn't that, matter that, whether he had crop well, sensor or not. Okay, now I do want to interject here. I agree with Alex. I wouldn't buy a crop, um, you know, sensor lens because I think you you cut you cut yourself short there. But there's a couple of reasons. One is is that I have some inside information. And it's as simple as this. The camera manufacturers are all moving towards full frame. Right. In the future, it may be hard to buy a crop frame sensor camera. And if that becomes true, if there are no more new crop frame sensor cameras, then it's going to be harder to sell that specialized lens than it would be if there aren't. So that that's my one caveat to Ron's advice that, yeah, you can always sell it, which is true. But if, it, if the market for it dissipates, you're going to take a big beating on it. If you start out, on the other hand, with the best full-frame glass you can afford, 
that will always have value, no matter whether you're using it on a crop frame sensor or a full frame sensor. And there is a difference based on my discussions with a couple of the lens manufacturers, some third-party ones, and with one of the big camera manufacturers. There's a difference in the quality that they're building into those lenses. The full-frame lenses get better quality. Well, and you're also, when you're cropping the, a full-frame lens... The high-end full-frame lenses yes, get better. Yes, correct. But Sorry, full, thank you for but that. But when you're, when you're cropping into a full-frame frame, um, sensor, or I mean, when you're cropping into a lens designed for full-frame, you're getting the best part of the lens. Right. You know, and so, so you're actually getting the, the real strong point of every lens by cropping into it a little bit. And yeah, so, you're going to get a much better picture. That's, I'm sorry, I just wasn't very articulate when I was trying to say it. That's what I was trying to say, Alex. If you use a full-frame lens on a crop-frame sensor, you're going to be in the sweet spot of that lens right. automatically. Whereas if you go with one specialized lens designed for the the crop framed cameras, then you don't have that luxury and your edge to edge sharpness in most of my test is is inferior to that you would get if you use the full frame lens. Now, Again, if you're comparing to, I and mean, we could go back and forth on this, you know, if you're comparing against L glass, I think that's true. If you're comparing against consumer glass, the, the other side of the equation is it's easier to produce a high quality lens if you don't have to have as large uh, an, you know, an imaging true. circle. And if you're cheap glass and that, you, that you don't really care about, I mean, I don't mean to say that that way, but if you're buying, you know, like, uh, you know, a, a, a big zoom lens for 200 bucks or whatever, you know, that, that's a Tamron, whatever, you can get a bunch of that stuff and start shooting. And, and you're right. You can get a lot of great stuff. It's not going to be super fast. It's not going to, but it's going to be, it's going to give you what you need right now. Yeah. Then, then, then I wouldn't worry about it so much. But if you're going to start spending, I'd say $500 or more on every lens that you're buying, yep. um, then I you're, you're, you're going to want yeah. Yeah, my, my reaction is just making that a, a blanket statement is way too strong because there are so many reasons why, you know, you may, you know, the other the reason why I have the, the, the uh, 17 to 85 uh, crop sensor lenses, it's nice and small for, and it's a good quality lens. And, you know, that's the other thing. If you have a crop sensor camera, you can make smaller, lighter lenses to go with it. And for me, when I travel, you know, that's, uh, that's an important part of it too. So, so we've covered the lens thing a little bit. The, 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 the main question I always get is Nikon or Canon. Which should well, I buy? Well, and I'm like, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. It doesn't, except when you look at the high-end ones, you've got to make a decision about the trajectory of your glass. Because you, once again, right. your glass is what's going to keep you to a camera system. Unfortunately, most, most of these questions come from people, Alex, just getting their first DSLR. But, but that's when you have to think about it, though, because you're going to be but buying... But they can't. They can't. They have no idea. They but have the, no the, idea the reality is, doing. I think, if you're spending less than $600 on a, on a camera body, yeah. um, they're all even. That's what I was trying yeah, to say. Yeah, they're, they're all, I mean, it does so, 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 but then look at the high end versions and make a decision about, you know, so it doesn't matter what you're oh, getting in, you're the, getting in the low end. Look at the high end going, well, yeah. if I'm going to start buying glass, it's got to work with that. Yeah. You know, and, and, and if your dream lens is a 600 F4 IS and your other manufacturer doesn't make that, then yeah, I see what you're saying. You, there. you know, so you, that's, in, that's where you might want to get to. Uh, you know, right now, I, I think that I would say, and as a Canon owner, I would say that if I was looking at the trajectory until Photokina, until we see something come out of Canon, I'd be buying a Nikon body. Well, I, I think overall, here's the thing. The Canons and the Nikons, they're neck and neck most of the time. Sometimes like, you know, for a year, the Nikon pulls ahead, the Canon pulls ahead. The, the, what I guess I want to say is these are all great cameras. If yeah. you compare any of these cameras today to the top of the line cameras we bought 15, 20 years ago, they trump them. Yeah. So... That's the good news. There's no bad cameras being yeah. made by Nikon or Canon. No right. bad cameras at all. Now, if you move to the second tier groups, these are some of the off brands. Most of them don't make any bad cameras anymore either. I mean, everybody makes a good camera. So it's not like you're going to buy this camera or that camera and boom, you're Ansel Adams. That ain't going to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, you're going to buy a camera and what you can do with your eye is going to make the image. And I think in general, if you're spending more than $250 on a camera, you're going to get good images out of it. Yeah. And if you're spending, sort of if you're point. spending more than $500, you're going to get great images. You're going to get, you're going to, well, get, you're going to get as good as you can shoot. You, yeah. You, that's what I was about to say. But, you know, I, I've heard this comment many times before from different people. I usually hear it from Michael Reichman. I don't know if he originated it, but I've heard it about both cameras and lenses. You know, 99% of all. 98% uh, of all cameras and lenses are sharper than 99% of all photographers. Right. So, I mean, the, the bottom line is the camera is probably better than you. It's certainly better than me. Right. And, and therefore, I would pay less attention to angst over those issues and pay more attention to concentrating on two things. What do you want to do with your photography? And here's the crucial one. 
and I answer my Mac PC questions this way too. If the group of people that you hang out with, if your immediate yeah. user group is shooting one brand or the other, that's the brand I'd pick. Right, because you have lens, you can trade lenses, you can trade, trade lenses, ideas. You have people that have overcome problems that will be familiar with it. So I, I'd take a look at that. Next question. Uh, does carrying a camera bag when traveling scream, quote unquote, rob me? This is from Justin Prather. Prather. Uh, um, so uh, the question is, uh, hey, guys, I'm wondering if, if you carry your, your gear your gear when you travel or what you ca- use to carry your gear. I've heard people do not use a camera bag because it is a big sign to thieves saying I have expensive items. Come and rob me. I was wondering what your opinion is. Ron? Uh, you know, maybe slightly, but I think being stupid is uh, a bigger issue. <laughs> I mean, you know, realistically. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, I, I don't if you're aware of your surroundings, mean, I travel a lot. I've been, you know, in third world countries. I don't have a huge thing that looks exactly like a camera bag, but I'm also not, you know, I, 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 everything I have on me is clearly uh, something that costs a little bit of money. And the assumption that I've got a camera in there is not an unreasonable thing. I'm not carrying a burlap bag over my shoulder. So, you know, you're, if you're in a, in a place where, you know, crime is an issue, you've got to be smart. And I, don't, I think just about anything you're carrying is going to be, uh, is going to be recognizable as something that's potentially valuable. I don't know. I mean, what do you guys think? One thing that I, I mean, I generally never carry anything. Well, I'm in Africa, and that's you, you really don't want to advertise, you know, there that you have that kind of stuff. And I've had cameras lost, and you know, at at, at locations. And I've kind of grown into. Um, I, I like. Uh, I have a Mountain Smith um, uh, day pack, you know, that kind of pops onto your onto your back, lower back. And uh, it just looks like, you know, the kind of thing a tourist would have, just have your little, and I keep a lot of my just little things that I need, but I keep my camera in there as well. The other thing is it has two real, it's really beefy in construction. I mean, it would take someone a lot of work to cut through it. And it's got big zippers that close everything down and what, and they, and there's two zippers. And so what I do is I lock everything. So if I'm wandering around and when I was in Brazil, when I was in, when I'm in Africa, I'll have little combination locks that I just kind of, I zip it shut and lock it because what you're afraid of and what generally happens is, is you've got something slung around your, around over your shoulder and someone just quietly opens it up and takes stuff out. So someone would really have to, you know, mess with it. And, and the big thing is, is that generally when you're afraid of being robbed, what you're really trying to do is not be as easy as the next guy. You know, if it's just a little harder than than picking someone's pocket, you know, people are going to usually move on because it's the the risk is too high, uh, especially in these countries. Oftentimes, the risk is too high of getting caught. You know, the the repercussions um, can be much rougher than here in the United States. Uh, you can get beaten, um, you know, pretty quickly, uh, and I've seen that happen from people who get caught robbing. So it's not something that they want to do; it's something that they want to pass on. You try to rob me, you're going to get beaten too. I don't care where you're at. <laughs> you don't even need to do it. I was in, I was in Tanzania, and I, this kid tried to rob our car and just got beaten by a crowd. You know, we didn't even we were sitting there eating, and we didn't know what the what the commotion was. You know, and so so the. Um, uh, it is uh, so they they just want to move on. They want to find an easy target, and you just all you have to do is be, and like Ron said, you have to be aware of your surroundings, aware of where things are, and and also know that especially if you're in, especially if you're clearly not part of the population, you want to um, know that you're clearly not part of the population, <laughs> and, yeah. and and just by that default, you have probably more in a lot of emerging world countries than everyone right. around you, and you have to be kind of uh, on that. I also go thinking that I'm going to, I always go assuming that I'm going to lose all my equipment. I mean, no, no, like I, yeah. I've only lost one camera in, you know, my, my passport's full, <laughs> and I've, I've got new pages, and I've only lost one camera, and that's the only, like, real loss I've ever had. And, uh, uh, but I go, and I, one thing I do is I pull my memory cards out pretty quickly, um, so that I don't have, if someone took my equipment, I don't lose what I shot because that's more valuable to me than the, than the hardware. Absolutely. Before we do the next uh, question, I would like to take just a moment to say thank you to Audible. They sponsored this show and they have now 50,000 Audible books available to you. 50,000. They just keep, they go, they go up by like a thousand a week. About a thousand a minute sometimes. Um, anyway, audiblepodcast.com slash twip is a special place you can go if you'd like a free one. That's right. We've arranged this just for you. This is just for listeners of This Week in Photography. If you go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip, you can get a free book. It's our way of saying thanks for listening to the show. It's their way of saying thanks for trying out Audible. And every week to help you think about something you might use your free pick on, we have our Audible Pick of the Week. And that's where we rely usually on our good buddy Aaron Mailer, who is just 
probably a little bit smarter than most of us because he reads too much. And he's uh, got some suggestions, don't you, Aaron? I sure do. I'm going to go out on a limb a little bit this week and do something I don't usually do. Um, All the books I've recommended thus far have been ones that I've heard over the last couple of years. This time I'm going to recommend one that I'm in the midst of actually listening to. I just grabbed it the other day, um, and it's probably good that I am listening to it and can't give away the the ending yet because uh, it's definitely a thriller. It's a book called Relic. Uh, It's the Pendergast Book One. It had really good reviews on Audible, which is one way that I tend to find some of the books that I, I might be interested in. Um, it's not quite a horror book. Uh, it's definitely quite creepy, to say the least. And uh, it's apparently one of a series. Uh, the sequel's called Reliquary. So, um, again, I, I can't say a whole lot about it yet, because <laughs> I just started it actually a day or so ago. But I'm thoroughly enjoying what I'm hearing so far, and I have a feeling I'll be listening to Reliquary later. So. Yeah, it's, it's actually part of the, the authors, Preston and Child, have written a whole bunch of stuff. Um, Relic was actually made into a movie uh, a few years back, which was a was the piece of crap, but I haven't I haven't uh, read or listened to to Relic, but I uh, I read another one of their books that's sort of in the same series, features some of the same characters, and these guys are real page turner kind of writers. I don't know what the equivalent of of a page turner is on an audible book, but you know they they just do a great job of leaving. You know, at the end of each section, there's a cliffhanger, and you're like, oh, I, I just have to listen to a little bit more. I just have to read a little bit more. So, yeah, I can see how this would be a great great listen. I think the page turner equivalent is uh, kind of like that uh, NB- NPR syndrome too, where you find yourself sitting in the driveway with the engine turned off. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's me, it's me having finished on the treadmill, and I'm still standing there for ten minutes listening. Yeah. So, but, but that's your choice for the not, week. You're not supposed to stand there, and you're supposed to keep right. walking. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for that. And if you would like to try out Audible on us, just run over to audiblepodcast.com/twip. We thank them for their support of this week in photography. Let's get to another question. We have uh, Pierre Bourgeois, who writes in and says, I would like to know about the useful life of a DSLR. I purchased a digital Rebel in 2004. Based on the number of photos on my hard drive, adjusted for usual level of deletions um, that don't make the cut, I estimate my Rebel has taken between 120,000 and 150,000 photos over the last three and a half years, and recently the camera's been acting up just wondering if it's time for me to start looking at a new dslr body well pierre every one of these cameras does have a fixed shutter life meaning the shutter will press so many times and go kaput Uh, you do not have to replace the camera if that happens you do have to replace the shutter it's often not worth it with a camera that old given the fact that the technology is zooming ahead so fast that the cost of the repair would likely be so significant that you'd be better off buying uh, a new body um it could be that you're having problems based on something as simple as you know uh, batteries it could be that some moisture has gotten into the camera it's impossible to know without sending it to a repair center although i will say 150,000 shutter actuations i can't say that word how do you say that word ron actuations actuations thank you i knew you would know actuations 150,000 actuations is getting up there for a uh, entry level dslr yeah, I think I've seen – you, you do see numbers posted. Uh, camera manufacturers will give sort of an estimated life rating on uh, on shutters for different cameras. And, and for consumer-level stuff, I've seen numbers in the 100,000 actuations kind of thing. So, um, you know, with the number that, that uh, Pierre is saying that he's shot, it's very possible that he is running into that. Now, you know, it's not to say that uh, if Canon says that the you know 450D has a – shutter life of uh, 100,000 clicks that it's going to explode at 100,001 but you know it, it means that you're 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 in the danger zone potentially Did it's you, not like it's not like a GM car where the 60,000 mile warranty really means 60,000 yeah, miles because at 60,001 boy they never hurt you right Scott there or Alex do you have any idea what the cost of replacing a shutter is anybody ever done that it's it's hundreds of dollars yeah, okay. So, yeah, it clearly it may not be worth it. And this is actually a good point for people that are buying a used camera is trying yeah, to get some sense of how many, uh, you know, how many actuations, how many photos have been shot with that as well. It's a tough thing to do. I think some cameras do keep that in firmware, don't they? They do, and I think that information is accessible to people who know how to get to it, sometimes easier, sometimes harder. But, you know, the eyeball test can give you an idea too, Ron. If it's real beat up. Yeah, yeah, and it was bought in two thousand four. You can generally assume that that sucker's been used pretty well, 
and you're not going to get a lot more out of it. And by the way, before those of you who say, well, this is a great argument for non-digital cameras, guess what? Those shutters wear out too, and they have to be replaced as well. So about two or three hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah. Quick search on the web. That's about what it's going to cost you to do it. And, and, and if you're looking at a body purchase in 2004, it's maybe worth two or $300 if you're lucky. Right, yeah. right. That's yeah. the, the, the real question is, is that might be a good opportunity. If, you ta- if you've taken that many photos, it might be a good opportunity to trade up. Yeah, if you, if you were to take what you paid for that camera, divide it times your 150,000 actuations, you'd probably see that you got your money's worth. <laughs> I, somebody, that'd be an interesting thing. By the way, Pierre is from Montreal, Quebec, and says, P.S., you have not had a bagel until you've had a Montreal bagel. Well, next time I'm in Montreal, I'm going to have well, a bagel. Keep, keep that someone in mind. Should t- someone should send us where. You have to tell us where, Pierre. It can't be just any... I bet I you it's not everybody. Montreal bagel. is one of my favorite cities in the world. We're going to Paris soon. But I like Montreal I'm going to try a croissant. Because in Montreal, the subway's clean. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to ride the Trigon Vita? I don't know. I, I, we have to shoot, and I have a day off in between. So we're trying to figure out whether we go. We're going to be in Amsterdam, and then we have to go to Paris, and then to London. And so we're trying to figure out what we do in the middle. Here's a cool question. I'm struggling with how to be inspired. This is from Andrew Bitson or Bitson. I'm an aspiring photographer who would love to be more pro-like, maybe not make it my full-time job, but definitely something I love doing. The only problem lies in knowing what to photograph. I live in Tucson, and I ask myself, what should I go out and shoot? I can you never live in Tucson, and, and you're trying you don't, to figure out what I'm, to shoot? I, I'm like, as soon as I got, live in Tucson, Tucson, I got to Tucson and said, what's your problem? I was born in Tucson. You were? I was born oh. in Tucson, Arizona. All right, that? so there, there's your assignment. Go shoot Alex's uh, birthplace. <laughs> yeah, go shoot my, yeah. Alex. I'm going to give you a list of family members and locations, <laughs> and I'd like you to take a picture of them no, once there, a week. There is, there is a, a monument there somewhere in Tucson that just says, hey, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, I mean, the, the, you know, for me, I mean, I... Uh, I shoot a lot of reference stuff. You know, I mean, I shoot, I mean, a lot of times when I'm taking photos, I'm taking pictures of walls and, and other things. I mean, the, the thing is, is that uh, I will say to go out, I mean, it's great to take the, the challenges that we provide people. Look at even the old challenges. That's a great way. And, and just try to, just try to get yourself going on it. The, uh, it is just a matter of, uh, of finding something you're going to go looking for. And in a place like Tucson, you've got High Desert Museum. Yeah, you've got the uh, Saguaro National Park. What is the old? Isn't there like an old? Um, the old west, yeah, old west that the, the shootout at the OK Corral reenactment thing. But you got you got tons of stuff there. I mean, I could spend easily a week at the High Desert Museum. Yeah, is that what they call it? The High I don't Desert? Know. Or I don't man, know. I don't. It might be changed the name, but the big museum there. It's it's got birds. It's got one of the best aviaries, by the way, in the country. Yeah. It's got a giant cactus garden. It's got lizards. Lizards. Snakes. Um, that place I could spend a week at and have spent a week there. It's one of my favorite places to shoot. And um, another thing is, I think that uh, finding something like like taking uh, Saguaro cactuses, yeah. uh, you just go take pictures of those for a weekend. I mean, yeah. they, they, the thing is, is they're, they're all different. They yeah. all have different uh, uh, details to them. Uh, don't run into them. Yeah, they, they, they stick you. And, um, but the, uh, one of the things that I thought was really interesting that I made an observation of when I was in Tanzania, there was a photographer that was traveling with us and he's a, you know, he's a professional photographer and I would take these photos and then he would take the photos right behind me. And he was standing like within six feet of where I was standing and his was like something you could put up on the wall. And mine was just a picture of, <laughs> of, of, of trees, you know, like mine was a picture. Of, and, and, and the thing is, is to realize that you could take a picture as a photographer, you, you could find something to shoot in any square yeah. block of any subject. And the, 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 it's not the subject. Right. It's how you're going to approach it. I'll answer this simply for everybody regardless of where you live. If you want to know what kind of images you should consider taking, look at published photographs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's go steal. That's what I was going to say. Steal ideas. There's yeah. nothing wrong with you know looking around. I really like this photo. I'm going to go see. You know, I get something similar to that. When, when I got into advertising, I, so I used to design ads for a, a sports network. And one of the things that I did is I is I um, I got a lot of magazines. So I, I was getting uh, some photography magazines, but also archive. Archive is probably one of my favorite magazines even today uh which is all it is is print ads you know it's, it's just it's just an example of ads of the best ads out there you know so they pick this is like in every i don't know if it comes out every month or every other month but it it is this uh but it's just this incredible collection of the top ads and then it also has photographers who put their resumes in and so on and so forth now what i used to do is i used to take archive every every month and i'd cut out all the ads that i liked the best and i had this huge wall and i didn't try to figure out why i just said when i look at that ad i go oh that's great 
you know, and so I would cut that out and I had this huge, I had a whole bunch of them on my wall and then I had this whole scrapbook of all these, of all these ads that I liked. And then what I would do is I would try to reproduce pieces of those in my spare time. You know, the, the, what, what about that photo did I really like? Yeah. You know, what caught me creatively? I don't know what it was when I first saw it, but then I slowly learned, oh, that's the lighting or, oh, that's the yeah. wide angle or, oh, that's the close up or, oh, you know, and, and I'd slowly dissect what, what made those great. And, um, it made me much better at, you know, what I did. Yeah, looking at pictures is the best way to figure out how to be better at taking them. Let's yeah, like they on. say, uh, l- lesser artists borrow, great artists steal. <laughs> uh, let's move on. And Craig Taylor writes, hey, guys, just wondering what – we're supposed to say, hey, everybody, Craig. I'm hey uh, just wondering um, what process and tools do you use for cleaning your sensor? Are there some measures you can take to reduce the amount of dust that gets onto your camera? Uh, another question, by the way, from O'Canada. Um, yeah, you can. Uh, don't change your lenses in the middle of a dust storm is a good place to start. I'm like, I have a real, um, I had, I got dust on my Nikon sensor and, uh, before I learned how to clean it, which was with one of those little sensor brushes, um, uh, I was very paranoid. Like I, once I cleaned it, I was like, I never want to do that again. It was too stressful for me, you know? And so, so what I, I have a pattern where I loosen the top of my, of my, uh, lens and then I pop the other lens through, you know, I, I, the yeah, time fast. between, between lenses is less than five seconds when I swap lenses and I just do it that way all the time. Like I don't, you know, it's just boom, boom, boom. There's I, a YouTube video of a guy that can swap like 10 lenses in 12 seconds. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's just, <laughs> so, so the, the thing is, is I do that. That's one, one piece of it is that I try to, I, I try to reduce the amount of time that my, that my camera's sitting there open. And I, I notice a lot of photographers that don't do that. And, and that's just, you know, a lot of photographers don't care about that as much, but I do it really, really quickly. Yeah, leaving your lens cap on, changing mm-hmm. lenses quickly, making sure you don't change lenses in a dusty environment. Don't set your camera and your lens down on an old dusty table in order to change the lenses is always a good thing. Be aware of static electricity. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you have a CCD in particular, that's going to be an issue. There's, there's, you know, th- those are the kinds of things that, you, you know, turning your camera up towards the sky while you change lenses is an yeah. invitation for dust to fall down into exactly. the chamber. I always tend to try and tilt the camera body down when it's open so that, you know, any but, dust would fall out. And I did too, Ron, but guess what now that I switched to Nikon? On the high-end Nikon bodies, it's actually best to leave the body perpendicular to the wall because there's a special strip, adhesive strip underneath the sensor that's designed to catch dust Mm -hmm. as it falls straight down. And it works better if you leave the camera straight up. Um, so it, it, that's mostly for when it when it shakes the sensor when it does the auto cleaning. No, right? no there's no auto cleaning on the D3. This, oh, okay. is, this is just what Nikon recommends. This is this thing that they've sort of just come up with on their newest cameras. I used to give the same advice on all cameras about this stuff, but now we're starting to see enough differences between um, the cameras that we actually have to think about this. There. The, uh, the the Nikons in particular, the high-end Nikons, use a different kind of, of sensor protection glass that requires different uh, solvents to clean it because it's particularly oily. Um, mm. And it's not – got to tell you, this is my least favorite thing about the D3 is the whole sensor cleaning issue. The fact that A, there's no automatic cleaning like there is on the Canon and B, that when you do clean it, there's a lot of grease and stuff. But – you know, th- there are tools from a company called Visible Dust. Yep. Generally, everybody thinks they're about the best. They're also way expensive. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're in Canada. That's the one that I got. Um, the They have a little blower thing that works really good, except mm. on the Nikons, full-frame sensors. The little rocket? The, the one that has a little rocket thing? No, the no, bottom? they have a little thing that spins. I can't okay. think of the name of it. I don't use it because it's really bad idea to use it on, on the, the Nikon because the the chamber so tight it just moves the dust all over everything right. but most cameras it's a great thing to tell you the truth the thing that i use the most is a lens cleaning tool that has a thing like an eraser on it you use that from a sensor uh, yeah i actually keep in mind we got we should mention here you're never actually touching the sensor you're touching a piece of glass in front of the sensor but yeah i use that what are you doing and, and when you get it, it's got this graphite in it, and you tap all the graphite out on like a microfiber cloth, and you uh-huh. get it to where there's no graphite. And then you literally just go in like you're using a pencil eraser and go, eh, 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 eh. nothing works better than that oh, for me. Yeah, that scares me. That scares me. And I've done it a hundred times. Still scares me. Still scares me. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, and I just bought, and I just bought all the stuff for the D3 from Visible Dust, right? Right. It was like a hundred bucks or something. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and it was reasonably effective, 
Mm-hmm. But it wasn't good in the corner. But I will say that the the the, what, the, the tool you're talking about um, with the little brush on it on my lenses, I love. Oh, on the lenses is great. On the mirror box, it's great. Yeah. And on anything but the high end Nikon's, it's great. Right. But it, you know, it, you have to be careful. Look at these manufacturers' recommendations because these these things are changing a little bit. But don't be afraid of this. We're, we eventually will get around to doing some sort of tutorial. You yeah. take the next question, Alex. Last question of the day: What is the origins of digital no- uh, noise and digital? I mean, what is the origins of noise and digital cameras, and why is it still an issue? This is from Dimitri Kushner. Uh, hey guys, why do DR- DSLRs and uh, point and shoots, for that matter, still have a problem with noisy images at high ISOs? I can understand why film would have that problem with light, but if if uh, a camera as a digital sensor and see it sees it or it doesn't in short where does the noise come from in a digital camera uh so um ron do you want to jump in on that it's the gremlins gremlins yeah (laughs) no i mean you know it's there's all kinds of little electronic stuff that's going on there and you know when you're shooting really low light you're uh, you're only getting a couple of photons hitting the sensor and at the same time you've got all this other electronics in and around that sensor uh, that can cause you know random fluctuations in voltage and um, spillover and everything like that. So when you're down to the ultimate levels of sensitivity of your sensor, you're shooting really low light. Um, there's plenty of stuff that can cause it. You, you know, camera design uh, at at the real high end level is uh, they do all kinds of stuff with trying to move certain electronic components as far away from the sensor as possible. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think it's a problem that we're going to have for quite some time to come because we keep pushing the the boundaries of how far into the dark you can shoot with a with a sensor the the size of the little pixel sites on the sensor mm-hmm. impacts the quality of the image and the larger those pixel sites are they call them buckets then the cleaner the image will be now because when you start yeah, to they're able to get yeah sample rate yeah yeah, and when you're you going to get more photons hitting it. Sorry, Scott. You, you'll get more photons hitting it, which means that the, what we call the signal-to-noise ratio is right. better. You get more signal and less noise. And the, the, the more megapixels, however, you cram onto a sensor, the smaller those things have to be because the sensor size isn't changing, folks. Right. It's the number of pixels that's changing. So that's why, for instance, on the 21.1 megapixel Canon 1DS Mark III, which is the flagship Canon body that I had for a minute, um, 21.1 megapixels isn't as you know noise-free as the Nikon D3 because the Nikon has 12 plus megapixels, the Canon has 21 plus megapixels, both on the same size sensor. So by default, the Canon has to have smaller sensor sites, meaning it has to be noisier. Meaning that that's why the D3 performs so well at 6400 ISO compared to the Canon. And in some ways, I think that we've we've paid for that a little bit by having by having this megapixel race. You yeah. know that we, when you look at a point and shoot, the average person out there getting a point and shoot that want to put that wants to put stuff up on the web or print little four by sixes or whatever could really be happy with a you know with a four megapixel or five megapixel camera. If it was super, because what they really need, the average person out there with a point and shoot, what they really need is a lot of light sensitivity because they're shooting at, you know, their kid's birthday party indoor or, or at a exactly. party or whatever. And so they'd be much better off with a three or four megapixel image camera that shot. 1200 ISO, you know, 12,000 ISO cleanly rather than a 10 megapixel point and shoot that's not going to be worth anything over 400 ISO. And these people are going to never print bigger than 8 by 10. Exactly. So they don't need anything. So if there's a brand new camera that comes out tomorrow in the point and shoot realm that's 4 megapixels, I'm going to take a long look at it. Me, I, I, I would, I would quickly, if, as my, as I, my little point and shoot that I put in my pocket. Yeah. If there was a four megapixel camera that that would that shoot, shoot really raw. well, that shot raw and shot really well up to 6400 ISO, I'd buy that. Yeah. Boom, yep. I'd buy it. That's the market Absolutely. segment that has been completely ignored because yeah. everybody bought into the marketing of you need more megapixels. Exactly. You don't need more megapixels. You need bigger megapixels. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, that's all the time we have uh, for questions this week. However, you're welcome to send more questions next week and the week after, and we'll answer them someday. <laughs> I don't know when, but uh, if, you want to we'll get them in there. if you want to communicate with us, twipphoto at gmail.com is our email address. If you would like to leave uh, comments on the blog uh, that are clean and pithy and on topic and don't include personal attacks, feel free to do so. <laughs> you can also use Delicious. To explain the Delicious tag, Alex, how that works. If you uh, Basically, if you go up to Delicious and they have a whole new website, a new URL, that Delicious has been making some upgrades. 2.0. 
2.0, and which is about time. Anyway, what happens is that you can you can go up to Delicious and you can download. Uh, you can you can go there and get a bunch of little markers that you can actually put into Firefox or Safari. And what it allows you to do is you can have little bookmarks that are sitting in your in your little whatever they call that little header right across the top of your stuff and you can just hit it and it'll take you to delicious so once you have an account and then what you can do is you can put a tag in there and you can tag it twip photo right is it or twip ideas twip ideas so just type twip ideas into the tag now if you do it a couple times it'll remember that that's a, yeah. a, a tag you like to use and then you can just click on it now what that means is that anytime you see something that you think we should cover what you should do is you just click on that boom and, and it goes into a long list and now there's two things that you get out of this one is is we get that's what we look at. Aaron looks at that when he's making a decision about looking at the new news, the things that we should look at, so on and so forth. Uh, when he's working through that pass, he's looking at, at what you posted. So you can really have a direct effect on the show. The other thing, though, is if you just go up to delicious.com slash twip idea, you know, tag slash twip ideas, what you see is this long list of what everybody who's watching the show is clicking on. You know, so you can actually see a lot of that news going by and you can stay really, really well connected. So it's, it's definitely uh, worth doing it uh, on two levels. If you want us to cover things, that's a way to get it to happen. Absolutely. Also, uh, check out the Flickr forums, like we say, and uh, be sure to you know, go out and shoot this week. Get your camera out. That's what this is all about. And take a picture of something that talks like an eight. <laughs> Looks like an eight. Makes you think of eight. I don't know. You know, go somewhere that way. Let's uh, let's ask Ron Brinkman where he would like everybody to get in touch with him after the show. Uh, you can do digital compositing or digital composting, depending on if you want to put the letter, or the the single I in there or not, uh, or just on Twitter at Ron Brinkman. And uh, Aaron, how can people get in touch with you if they want to try to influence you unduly? <laughs> uh, Twitter's one place to find me for sure. I'm half press on Twitter, H A L F P R E S S, just like half pressing your shutter button. And uh, my blog's at halfpress.com, and I'm going to make an effort this weekend to get some new content on there. Just remember, Aaron is the guy that does the show notes. He produces the show for us by helping us get ready to go. He's an integral part of our success. We appreciate you very much, Aaron. Alex the Lindsay. Other than uh, Hey Everybody, Ville, uh, Arizona, where would you like to be found? <laughs> the, the, the best way to, to uh, follow what I'm doing is Twitter. So uh, if you, uh, it's all one word, Alex Lindsay, with an A, A Y, not E Y. For some reason, I am totally unsearchable on Twitter. So you, yeah. if you search for Alex Lindsay, you can't find me. But if you just do you know, twitter.com slash Alex Lindsay, all one word, you'll see my ravings about losing, losing my phone and uh, <laughs> losing other things. And, and then uh, usually some odd, some odd uh, uh, you know, links and stuff like that. That's probably the best way to follow me. And where should people go if they want to participate in the poll on when you're going to lose the 8-millimeter lens? <laughs> Never! Never! <laughs> I'm never going to lose it. Okay, okay. Well, you can find me at Scott Bourne on Twitter, scottbourne.com. Also, uh, check out aperturenatureworkshops.com. In uh, two weeks, we're going to open up a contest to all our listeners and everybody in the world for a chance to go on a trip of a lifetime and win about $2,500 worth of cool photo gear. You can find out more about that there. In the meantime, check out the blog, twipphoto.com. We are very happy that you joined us, and uh, we hope we'll see you Next time on another edition of This Week in Photography, for now, we're going to put the lens cap right back on.